In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Brian Kemp has had it with masks in schools. Look, on the mask issue, I've been very patient. I've been a local control governor, but this has gone on for too long. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. We hope to make this podcast your go-to audio source for the most in-depth reporting and analysis of local politics and the 2022 election. And Patricia... I know me and you have been all over the state this past week. Absolutely. I know that you were up in the 10th District. I heard, I saw you um, with a Monroe byline, I do believe. We were both down at the Capitol. Um, and just a lot going on this week. And Cartersville, Georgia. So we've been all over, all over at least the northern part of the state. Coming up later, Patricia, we're going to talk about the powerful Republican leader who is delivering a big blow to the Buckhead Cityhood movement under the Gold Dome. But first, we're going to end the week in kind of the same way we started it fighting over masks in public schools. Stacey Abrams had her stumble over masks earlier this week, which she tried to explain on CNN. Yes, I will say this. I went to read to kids for an African-American read-in day. I approached the podium with my mask on. I followed the protocols. I told the kids I'm taking my mask off because I'm reading to kids who are listening remotely as well. And we were socially distanced. The kids were socially distanced from me. I told them that's what I was doing. And in the excitement after I finished, because it was so much fun working with those kids, I took a picture and that was a mistake. Protocols matter and protecting our kids is the most important thing. And anything that can be perceived as undermining that is a mistake. And I apologize. Now, Governor Kemp is trying to capitalize on this mask flap by making it clear he's had enough school mask mandates. Parents are beyond frustrated in a very, very small uh, number of districts in our state about young children especially being masked. And so we're working with our floor leaders and my administration uh, to introduce some legislation to address this issue. And uh, we'll have more details on that when we get it put together. The governor has been a major advocate of local control, but that is changing when it comes to coronavirus restrictions. Well, you know, and I'm still a local control guy, but you know, our cases, if you look at the way our cases are right now, I mean, they are beyond on the path downward. I mean, we're rapidly getting back to where we were. Our hospitalizations are dropping statewide. Our hospitalizations have been dropping in the metro areas for weeks now uh, and are starting to do that in South Georgia. And, and people are just beyond frustrated. Nobody seems to be following the data and the science anymore. They're following the politics. And at this point in the pandemic, it is my belief that parents have the tools that they need to best take care of their children. And you know, that's why I think we should just let parents decide whether their kids need to be masked or not. You know, they, they are the 
the ultimate decision maker for the child's health care. I appreciate what the schools have been doing. We've been there the whole time helping them give the resources to stay open and keep our kids in the classroom. Uh, but now it's time to do this, and certainly this legislation, I hope, would send a message to those districts. And you're seeing, you know, we haven't had statewide mask mandates here. We haven't had uh, vaccine mandates from state government here. I've been very firm on that issue. But, yeah, you're even seeing Democratic governors that are coming out and getting rid of their mask mandates. It's time for the schools to do that as well. Patricia, we're not sure exactly what the legislation will look like, but we know that Republican leaders, not just Governor Kemp, but other Republican leaders are behind it. And really, if there's been a common thread to this legislative session, it's that culture wars are coming to the classrooms. Transgender athletes, banning books, critical race theory, um, uh, parents' bill of rights, and now masks. So we're we're seeing more education policy-related issues than we've seen in years at the Georgia legislature actually gain traction, actually get support from, from leaders like Governor Kemp. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things going on with this mask piece. Um, First of all, is just the reality that the science is changing quickly and there are more tools for um, parents and schools um, right now that we didn't have before, including vaccines. And um, rates are falling, I think, pretty quickly and substantially. The AJC has been reporting, um, especially in uh, Uh, metro areas. And so it does feel like the reality on the ground is changing. Um, And then, of course, the politics are changing. And what I have heard him say in this announcement that I have never heard him say in previous discussions of masks in schools was the conversation about parents. And parents have the tools they need to make this decision. And so it is an effort to continue to empower parents and put that decision in the hands of parents instead of schools. And that is the same through line that we are hearing in other pieces of legislation from this governor, including the Parents' Bill of Rights and the conversation about um, illicit and obscene materials. It is now a conversation about um, putting all of those decisions, uh, pulling them out of the hands of administrators and putting them back in the homes. And it um, feels a little bit political. It also feels um, pretty consistent with the reactions we've been seeing to some of these mandates around uh, definitely the suburban areas of the metro Atlanta area. Yeah. And, you know, there's no comprehensive list of how many school districts actually require mask mandates in Georgia for their students. But we know Gwinnett County, we know we know DeKalb County. I know that firsthand. Uh, you know, Savannah Chatham County. And so there's some pretty significant counties, uh, some large populations that are still requiring face coverings. But really, you know, to me, this at least is an overall trend that is trying to channel Glenn Youngkin, right? Glenn Youngkin won the race for governor Republican in a very Democratic state, in part because he was able to energize and motivate parents who were fed up with coronavirus restrictions and worried about um, what their what their schools were teaching their, their students. And you're seeing Republicans kind of seize that trend. And Democrats kind of trying to counter it with their own with their own ideas, right? I mean Stacey Abrams um, was what sort of went headlong into that debate this past week, um, first by not wearing her mask in those pictures and then by apologizing, but as she apologized, trying to at least clarify her position on where she stands on mask mandates. Yeah. And I have to say something that he's doing here also um, is saying, I'm for local control, but 
And that is another, uh, that is a common, common theme that we're seeing down at the legislature. And it's a common theme that we're seeing out on the campaign trail. I'm for local control, but, and so there are a number of conversations. I'm for local control, but let's talk about um, cityhood in Buckhead. I'm for local control, but uh, there are a whole lot of other issues. You can just sort of feel the campaign season heating up and a lot of these issues and um, the health issues, the school issues really feel like the tip of the spear here. Yeah, I agree. And look, we, we've had some of these legislative debates for a while. Like, like there's been transgender athlete measures for years that have kind of moved forward and stopped and moved forward and stopped, never really got across the finish line. The difference now is that Governor Kemp is, is backing all these, right? Governor Kemp backs legislation that could ban more books that are deemed to be obscene. Governor Kemp came out in the state of the state speech and, and, and even before that and vowed to enact legislation that bans critical race theory, which isn't even being taught in any public school classrooms. And Governor Kemp has also said that he supports uh, what they call a fairness in sports, which is essentially a uh, restrictions on transgender athletes from competing in certain high school athletics. So this is gaining speed with 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 very prominent Republicans in the state capitol. Yeah, and it's gaining wide support with Republicans in the state capitol. And uh, the critical race conversation is a perfect example. There is a bill moving through the Senate that has uh, the support of nearly every Republican uh, senator. And there was a hearing on that uh, earlier this week and a conversation about um, not only critical race theory, but what is critical race theory? What is a divisive concept? Uh, there's a bill, and it's that same bill, that has nine separate definitions of what is a divisive concept. And uh, the debate back and forth between Republicans and Democrats really got to the heart of why it's almost impossible to legislate something like this. What is a divisive concept? Um, there was a question from a Democrat. Well, what if you have a divisive answer? Has the teacher then violated that policy? What if a teacher tells a student about something that is upsetting? And literally in the legislation, it says there should not be divisive concepts that create distress in students. I mean, a lot of things are distressful <laughs> for students. And so has the teacher violated that policy? Um, and so the, these are areas that lawmakers have just really been reluctant to go into in the past in a big way. There have always been fringe bills, but 2022 is really the year where there feels like there's this critical mass of Republicans getting way deep into the weeds, not just into local school districts, but literally into the classroom, legislating what a teacher can say in response to a specific question from a specific student. And that is new territory right now. That's a really good point too about the, the what what the definitions are. What is an obscene book? What is critical race theory? Uh, what is divisive policies? And we, you know, we did a bunch of interviews when this debate first sort of emerged last year with lawmakers and, and public school officials, asking them what is the definition of critical race theory, and very few of them could even give uh, a broad sort of framework for what it means. So we're also having that issue of, of lawmakers trying to debate these sorts of issues without knowing exactly what they mean. And what is an obscene book, right? Who, who gets to decide what an obscene book is? Is it, um, is it a book from a controversial author? Is it a book that deals with LGBTQ issues? And, and you know, we're seeing this in other, um, other parts of the country with debates over the book Mouse, right? The, the graphic novel Mouse about nudity of, of, of animals, uh, you know, in, in books about the Holocaust. How do you as parents also play a role in, 
in balancing that? What, what role should parents play in knowing what their students are being taught and being involved in that? And that's what all these measures try to debate. And it seems like it's they're, they're all moving very quickly. And sometimes these legislation, it takes years for certain pieces of legislation to get enough steam and get enough nuance to pass. But in this case, a lot of these are moving through at the very same time. There was the other day, there was something like three or four different hearings on education-related topics around the same time, around the same three-hour t- time frame. Well, and the reality is, Greg, that even though these bills are generating a ton of debate and lots of pushback from Democrats, the Republicans have the votes and they have a ton of momentum behind them as well. And so I think we fully expect a number of these bills, especially bills um, banning CRT and the bill uh, for transgender sports, a ban on people playing a sport that's other than the one for their gender at birth. I think that's technically the language. Um, that's going to move very, very quickly. And the governor has said he'll sign it. And in a way that we hadn't seen before, the governor laid these things out as mm-hmm. priorities in his state of the state address, sort of a big package of bills that he said um, put too much uh, controversy and too much division inside of schools. And it, he said, it as the governor of Georgia, I'm just not going to let that happen. And so once you've got it from the top from the governor, and then a real grassroots effort coming down. And you see it at all of these school boards um, around the state, a lot of controversy on these issues. A lot of those are Republican activists showing up at school boards. Um, You just feel it. It's almost like a sandwich of of decision-making, sort of like pressure from the top and pressure from the bottom. And it's all just meeting here in the legislature um, right now. And uh, we do expect these bills to pass pretty quickly. And of course, in the in the background are the political pressures they're all facing, right? I mean, Governor Kemp facing a very stiff primary challenge from former Senator David Perdue, who's saying he's not going far enough and more aggressive enough at banning these mask mandates in schools and, and other such issues. And also the lawmakers down the ticket. You know, I was just talking to a lawmaker who comes from a very conservative district who doesn't have a challenger yet, but all he's worried about is someone from the right pressuring him. So there, he has no room to oppose any of these measures. He, he told me privately, you know, I'm going to back every single one of these education measures because I can't afford not to. Well, Patricia, when we get back, we're going to talk about some other local control issues. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Up today on AJC.com and coming in your Sunday paper is a terrific profile piece on Bill White from two friends of the show, AJC senior reporter Tamar Hollerman and J.D. Capilouto. Both of them have been spending weeks digging into Bill White, the man behind the Buckhead City movement. My colleague J.D. Capilouto and I looked into Bill White's upbringing, his years as a prominent veterans fundraiser and major political donor in New York, and how all of that 
informed his involvement in the Buckhead Cityhood movement. We also really dive deep into his really high energy in your face style and how that's so different from the traditional doing way of business in Buckhead and how he's being perceived by leaders here. That story is online now on AJC.com and will be on the front page of the Sunday paper. But Patricia, even before that story moved, we have been slowly seeing more and more troubles for the Buckhead City momentum in the state capitol. Uh, The latest big blow happened just on Thursday when Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan sat down for an exclusive interview with AJC to say that he was against Buckhead City legislation moving this year. He said at the very minimum, we should give new mayor Andre Dickens time to implement his anti-crime proposals and also let Jeff Duncan's legislation, which essentially provides tax credits, allows residents to direct tax credits to law enforcement to boost pay and uh, salaries and, and hire more officers, let give that time for it to work. So this was a big, big setback, a significant blow to Buckhead cityhood when you have the number two Georgia politician, the president of the state Senate, who still wields considerable power over what legislation gets assigned to certain committees, saying it should wait until 2023 at the very least. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't know that it means it's completely dead. You know, Jeff Duncan also opposed SB 202, but that sure, sure, that sure did pass over his objections. But the arguments that he laid out, I think, are really logical. And they're the same arguments that I'm hearing from other Republicans who don't know how they feel right now about the Buckhead City Bill, especially the Andre Dickens piece of it, because Mayor Dickens made it his priority number one to stop this Buckhead City movement in its tracks. And a big piece of that has been reaching out to the Capitol. And we all know about the fact that he um, called Speaker Ralston, the day after he was elected, he has been up to see the governor several times, has reached out and spoken with the lieutenant governor. Dickens has also been reaching out to the sponsors of that Buckhead City bill to talk to them specifically um, about uh, sort of their thoughts behind Buckhead City and what their plans are. So he is doing a lot in front of the camera and behind the scenes to really uh, stop momentum for this bill. And I think that's really important for uh, listeners to know and understand. Um, Another piece of this is just Bill White, the man who is leading the Buckhead City effort. And he has become an absolute lightning rod for controversy. And uh, he had another huge controversy this week that I think really is starting to cost him some support, some serious support in the state capitol. Yeah, he is becoming a toxic brand at the state capitol. I've, I've privately talked to many Republicans who want nothing to do with him, who are steering clear of him. And we'll, we'll say some of those controversies. Recently, he, he amplified a racist tweet from a white nationalist group, you know, and only deleted it hours later. And then I think worse than that, in terms of the minds of many at the Capitol, is oh, well, actually, Patricia, you wrote about this. I'll let you talk about that. Uh, Sure. So on Instagram this week, um, Bill White was uh, quite active and he is always active on social media. And I think anybody who follows him knows that. Um, He's very aggressive on social media. He has been um, going after and, uh, you know, some people would say slandering members of the opposition to the Buckhead City movement. Um, He does that pretty routinely. But this week in particular, he amplified an Instagram post from another account 
that connected um, some supposedly missing money from a MARTA account, which is not missing, by the way, and never was there, by the way, um, and connected that to the death of Jeffrey Parker, who was the CEO of MARTA, who um, died by suicide last month. Um, When he died, the entire capital was really crestfallen. He was very, very close to a number of lawmakers. Um, He was actually very close to a number of lawmakers who were sponsors of the Buckhead City Bill. And so when Bill White um, really created a conspiracy theory about the death of Jeffrey Parker, um, that really became um, personally offensive to a number of those Buckhead City Bill backers. And so it has stopped being a conversation about um, crime in Buckhead, zoning in Buckhead, what do Buckhead voters want? What do they deserve and need and want to talk about? It's really become a conversation about Bill White um, that's very damaging to that bill. And the fact that nobody in in whoever else is in the Buckhead City movement, nobody has moved in to um, step in and do anything about the situation, I think speaks to um, uh, what kind of legs it has right now. Yeah, not much. One Capital Insider who is a supporter of the measure said it is now not dead, but dead. So we can't declare it dead, but after Jeff Duncan's statement, it's hard to see it going anywhere. So we'll see how that goes over the rest of the the next few weeks, and we'll certainly have a lot more to say about that going forward. Before we go, we have one of our favorite features, the Insider Mailbag. We invite you to continue sending us your questions, your comments, your feedback on any of our social media accounts or, of course, our emails. This week's question comes from Brady Bainberger of Hushton. Brady asks a really good question, Patricia. What got you into journalism? Brady, great question. And I actually have a two-part answer for you. So I used to work in politics and I uh, there was a point where I thought, I am not built for this. I cannot do this anymore. I really was just not political enough to work in politics. Um, but at the same time, I honestly felt like my bosses were not getting fair coverage. I did not think that the reporting on my bosses was really what I would have done. And I kind of thought I could do it better. <laughs> so I knew I wanted to get out of politics, but I really still loved um, watching politics. And I think politics is really important. And so I decided to go into the other side after a stint in journalism school um, to go into journalism instead and stay a part of the mix, but not be a part of the political game. And so I really like it better from the side, from this side of the action, Brady. You know, I got into journalism when I was in the fourth grade at the Greenfield Hebrew Academy when the great I.J. Rosenberg, who was at the time the Braves beat writer, came and I was obsessed with the Braves and he came to speak to our class. I have no idea what he said. I don't have any clue what lessons he imparted or what message he had. I just remember going home and telling my mom that I wanted to be a reporter. And after a few months, she reminded me that to be a reporter meant you had to learn how to type. So I said, ah, screw that. I'll do something easier. And I decided for the next five or six years, I wanted to be a doctor. And then when I was a junior in <laughs> high school- Easier than typing. <laughs> easier than typing. Yeah, right. And when I was a junior in high school and I was like failing AP Chem and, and all these problems, uh, one of my best friends, Jessica Schiffman, her father um, was an executive at CNN, was a producer at CNN. And uh, I was over at her house kind of hanging out, watching TV. And it was 1998 and there was Kosovo bombings were happening. So it was a big breaking international story and it was all hands on deck at CNN. So James Schiffman, her dad comes in the the basement, wherever we were hanging out and said, you guys want to come to the studio with me? And Jessica kind of rolled her eyes and 
I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I guess it was that visit to CNN. After that, I just said, I'm going to go into journalism hardcore. And I you know, uh, joined the student newspaper at the North Springs High School and joined the Red and Black at UGA. And here I am now. And the fun thing about that story is I'm still close with both James Schiffman and I.J. Rosenberg. I hear from I.J. all the time. I see him around the Jewish community here in Atlanta. And James Schiffman, we actually wrote about, not me, but he was a professor of journalism at, at Georgia College and State University who um, uh, basically was upset about the lack of a mask mandate. And he made some news by essentially um, getting forced out of that job. But I still talked to him. And back when, when he had that gig, I went and spoke to his classes. <laughs> so we both have really fun stories. Thank Good you, answer, Brady. Greg. Um, so we're also going to try one more feature. Is Are we going to do this thing? The pecans and pecans? <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing this, Jay? We will take your uh, suggestions on how to name this better than uh, winners and losers in the week in politics. Yeah. So we're taking all your suggestions. All due respect. But right now, to, we, we have a placeholder. Yeah, with all due respect to the other shows who usually use winners and losers, we're trying to figure out another placeholder, but we're thinking pe- peaches or plums, whatever. Anyway, loser of the week. I, can I, do you want, you want to go first, Patricia? You go first. Okay. It's going to be Bill White. Um, there's was a lot all, of losers. Okay, he's my loser week. too. Yeah, there's a lot of losers this week, but but Bill White pretty much condemning uh, the Buckhead City movement. I mean, there was a lot of it was already in in in, in really rough area, rough patch right now, rough waters. But when he tweeted that conspiracy theory about someone who's beloved under the state capitol, um, who Republicans and Democrats held in such high esteem, it really made it easy for those Republicans who were on the fence or those who are sort of be privately opposing to go ahead and say, I don't want anything to do with Buckhead City Hood anymore. Yeah. And what's amazing to me about this is that um, Bill White almost created the Buckhead City Hood movement. I mean, he really, without him, I don't think it would have ever become what it was, which was a very well-organized, very well-funded, very real movement, the furthest, uh, an idea that has popped up many times, it's the furthest it's ever gotten. And without Bill White, that I just didn't feel like that ever would have happened. Ironically, now, without Bill White's missteps, it feels like it would still have a better chance. And so he kind of brought it to to its highs, and it feels like he's about to take it back to its lows. So, yeah, he's definitely the loser this week. Yeah, if there's any other face of this movement, it still would face a really hard challenge to pass. But, you know, the fact that he is still the the, the leader of this de facto movement means that Uh, It is relegated to the sidelines. Patricia, who's your winner of the week? My winner is Representative DeRicchia, because after he had his rather low moment on our jolt or early morning newsletter, giving the entire house the finger, uh, he came out very quickly and apologized. And I felt like it was a really sincere apology. And you just don't get many apologies in politics these days. And even when you do get an apology, it's sometimes sort of like, I'm sorry if you were offended, or I'm sorry if what I said made some people feel like they didn't want to hear it. It's not ever really a full apology. And Representative Rickia really went to the floor and said, I love this house. I love you all. And I'm sorry for what I did. And so for that, he is my winner. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is our winner's uh, audio tag. And that is our friend of the show and beloved AJC reporter, Will Nobles, uh, welcoming, what is it, a king cake or something on Twitter? It was a king cake. Yes, yeah. Apparently he's from. Uh, apparently he's from Louisiana. He's and, from New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans. Yep. And he, he got a king cake. And um. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> he very much enjoyed it. So much. we very much enjoy Will. And and our colleague Ben Brass had suggested we put it in the show. And uh, we have found a place for Will. Brilliant, brilliant suggestion. And Will, we're still waiting for our piece of the cake. Um, you know, and Patricia, to, to that point, props to Laricia Because when I call them with, hey, you know, you, I, I think you're flicking off the camera in this picture. He could have said, no, no, that's just... He could have. He could have yeah, gotten. Yeah, he could have said no. You're just. You're look. You're reading. Bluestein. You're reading too much into this. What are Fake you news. Yeah. Fake news. Or like, no. That's just the. You know. That's just the angle of the camera. That's just the the way the light's hitting my fingers. But instead, he said, "No, that was me." <laughs> so <laughs> my my winner of the week is a little bit different. It's Senator Raphael Warnock, and it's it's partly because of the five major candidates for higher office. He's the only one this past week that didn't have a a big, huge setback, right? Herschel Walker, there's more stories about him getting into some legal trouble in his past. And he just went up and gave a private speech in Texas, despite the fact he's still doing very limited public appearances. We've talked about Stacey Abrams. David Perdue had a really rough fundraising quarter. He only raised $1 million. He's way behind all the all his his two biggest rivals, Governor Kemp and, and Stacey Abrams. And Governor Kemp uh, lost a legal battle that gave him a huge financial edge when it came to raising unlimited funds through leadership committees. So of all those, Senator Warnock, you know, there's there's, there's always the back and forth, but Senator Warnock uh, had debuted a new ad and really kind of stayed out of trouble otherwise. So in, <laughs> in that case, he becomes the de facto winner of the week. Congratulations, Senator well, Warnock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how long this is going to stay in there, but oh, we're forever. doing it right now. Well, Nobles congratulates you. <laughs> well, now as Patricia mentioned earlier the reason we are able to do in-depth stories like this one and to take the time on it that no one else in Atlanta can is because of your subscriptions to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and your loyalty to reading The Jolt and all of our products. If you are not a subscriber, you can get unlimited digital access for just 99 cents for the first month. Go to subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcast to help us press on and our coverage of local politics. Signing off another week. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,